Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Well, hi, and welcome to our podcast today. I'm so delighted to have with me someone that came in from Lubbock, Texas last night. Thank you for doing that. Steve Sosland, who is the Chief People Officer for Texas Tech Health Science Center. And just before we start the show, I think this video clip will tell you everything you need to know about what he's doing. Let's watch. We are beginning a very special journey at Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. Like all worthwhile journeys, we have a destination. Ours is to create a sustainable, values-based culture. So if our goal is to create a high-performing organization with a positive culture, then it's first incumbent on us to look at our core values. Now, it's not Dr. Mitchell's values. They're not my values. It's the values that each of us holds. We bring values to the organization. When we are at our best, what are the values that we share? And that's what this Value Summit is all about. So, gee, Steve, welcome. I, you know, I know so much about you, but I don't know so much about you. And I think that's what the show's going to be about. Um, when we met, I was attending the uh, International Coach Federation PRISM Award, a prestigious yearly award that's given to one organization only out of all the nominations that values coaching as part of the culture. And at the time, Steve, you were uh, really doing some transformational work and rewarded by getting the PRISM Award uh, at the um, University of North Texas Health Science Center. And that award was, was so special. I, as you remember, I couldn't wait to go up and meet you. And I remember clearly your big smile. And I just said to you, Steve Soslin, I want to know more about your work because it's so much values-driven cultures is so much a part of my passion for this show, which is talking to leaders about being authentic and coming from a place of values and living them and demonstrating and having an engaged workplace. And so now Texas Tech... Health Science Center grabbed you away, and you have just started doing something I think is incredible that we saw the video about. Tell us what you have begun doing and is already in the works. Well, Valerie, let me uh, let me first say that I distinctly remember that moment out at the American Airlines Center when I met you and and Doug and had a chance to hear about what you do, and the more that I've learned about your passion for leadership and for integration of values into that. Um, I've seen how we are just on parallel paths. So I love what you're doing with this, with this program. And I think it highlights what we're trying to do at Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. And that's a mouthful, so I may just say HSC. That's good. Uh, that's that, good. That's okay. HSC. We can do that. Yeah. Health Sciences Center. And, and what is it? A health science center, university health science center is? Well, 
50 years ago, we would have said a medical school. Yeah, exactly. But what, what the difference is between a medical school and a health science or health sciences center, as we say at, at Tech, uh-huh. is that it integrates the different specialties from healthcare education. So we have a school of medicine, but we uh-huh. also have a school of nursing, a school of pharmacy, a school of health professions that has 20 different programs, uh, including physician's assistants and physical uh-huh. therapy and, and uh, other graduate programs. Uh, we have a, a graduate school of biomedical sciences that graduates PhDs candidates that mm-hmm. are doing research. So it in, it's the integration. A health Sciences Center is an academic institution that integrates the different professional aspects of healthcare to be able to solve the healthcare solutions for our future. Okay. That's, that's what we're focused on. Thanks. Good explanation. So what are we doing at so and what are you doing yeah. there? They grabbed you and they brought you over because of what you're doing. Right. Well, perhaps it would help if I tell you that uh, I asked a question to the search committee uh-huh. when they were interviewing me for the position. And the question was, how happy are you with your current culture? Mm, good question. Yep. And I was going to listen and respond to their answer because if they were if they were really happy with their culture my answer to them was don't hire me Mm -hmm. I am a professional disruptor (laughs) yes you Uh, are (laughs) organizations hire me when they're not happy with their culture and they'd like to go a different direction Mm -hmm. specifically a direction that focuses on core values not core values of the senior leadership not the CEO mm-hmm. or the president's core values, mm-hmm. but rather the core values that already exist among the various team members of a diverse team. So what we're doing is we're transforming a culture at the Health Sciences Center that incorporates the values from all of those individuals so that when they come to work every day, mm-hmm. they bring their values with them. And that's 5,000 people in five campuses. This is no small deal. I would even say it's in six campuses because uh, one of the campuses that we refer to as the Permian Basin includes Odessa and Midland. And for anybody listening to this or watching this that knows Odessa and Midland, they would say, whoa, wait a minute. Those are two (laughs) distinctly different places, kind of like Dallas and Fort Worth? Right. For you? <laughs> yeah, okay. So, um, yes. So, six campuses, and we also provide health care for 21 prisons across Texas, uh, West Texas, and each of those have their own diverse teams. And so, how do you get, you know, disparate geographical locations with people that literally have come from all over the world? How do we get them together? That, that was really what the challenge is that we're facing now. So you said I'm a disruptor. I, what I know about you is you can use that word. I'm, I'm going to also add to it, Steve. You're, you're really a change agent. Um, and the healthcare industry so needs values-based, let's just say, professionals so that the patients have better service. You know, how many years do we say, well, I like my doctor, but he doesn't really have great bedside manners. Well, it all starts in the education that you're, that the uh, Health Science Center is, is giving to all the professionals. 
So what I know about this, and I'd love for you to, to tell us the process, but you got together a hundred and some people in one big room, right? And facilitated them coming up, you just said, with their values and take it from there. Then what did you do? How did you do that? I may do this a few times today, but <laughs> do you mind if I back up a bit? Yeah. And bring you into that? Sure. Uh, I don't have any original thought. That, that's really not my strength, and I recognize that. What my strength is is in learning from others and being able to take different things that I've learned along the way on my journey, mm-hmm. whether it's in a book or meeting somebody, whether it's listening to you and others, and then being able to package it in a way by taking something from all of those diff- different sources and bringing it to the organization that I'm with. One of the influencers of our values journey, um, in fact, in the last three organizations where we've done this, one of our influencers is a woman named Ann Rhodes. I think you're familiar with Ann. Ann yes. is the woman who is behind the culture at Southwest Airlines. Yes. And then she helped start JetBlue, both values-based organizations. And uh, I read her book uh, titled Built on Values. And I was very impressed, so I contacted her to ask if she would help us. Now, in her book, she says, and the first time that I read her book, she said, it's really important to bring a sampling of people together in the organization to identify what the core values are and limit it to 25 people. Now, I've worked with her three times. The first time uh, I read the book, it said, limit it to 25, so we brought 30. (laughs) Disruptor. and we did a transformation at a hospital in uh, Fredericksburg in Central Texas. So the second time I read her book, I had uh, moved to Fort Worth at the UNT Health Science Center, and I read her book, and, it's, and it said, limit it to 25 people. So we brought 50. <laughs> it's a bigger organization. So when I got out to Texas Tech, and, and uh, it was a much bigger organization uh, with 5,000 faculty and staff members and 5,000 students, Mm. um, I read her book again, just to refresh me, and it said limit it to 25 people. So we brought 104. Oh, my goodness. How did you select them? uh, We wanted, the main thing was that we wanted everyone to feel like they were represented. Mm -hmm. So how do we do that? Well, we looked at the demographics of our school, uh, we looked at the various geographic locations where we operate across West Texas and here in Dallas. And we brought people from all of those locations, but then we wanted to look at other uh, ways to look at diversity. So we made sure we had gender diversity, racial diversity, sexual orientation, religious diversity, national origin. Mm-hmm. We tried to have it so that when people saw the list and they knew, they said, wow, well, you know, that's somebody. But I'll tell you the most important diversity for how we selected. I wanted naysayers. I wanted mm-hmm. people that nobody would accuse of having drank the Kool-Aid. Oh. So, we, so I asked the question, who are our biggest naysayers in the organization? The, the ones who are always skeptical. And we invited skeptics because I knew they'd ask us great questions and keep us on track with what we really needed to do if we were going to change a culture. I like that. Yeah. So, you know, the, uh, right up front, Steve, the difference is that how many companies uh, that I go in in training programs or coaching, 
and the values are up on the wall or they're in a brochure on the table and if I were to ask which I kind of as a ornery person sometimes do to an individual tell me about your values oh uh, mm -mm. so they have no clue because they were designed by as you said somebody said these are our values and that was it so keep going you had that group of 140 thank you Ann <laughs> and then what uh, uh, let me just acknowledge what you said, and that is, uh, I so agree with you that if the values come from an ivory tower, uh -huh. then who's going to say, well, that's me, yeah. right? And that's what we wanted people to say. When they look at the values, uh, I, I specifically ask that when whatever the values come out to be, please just avoid one thing. Don't make an acronym out of it. Don't mm -hmm. make a mnemonic out of it. We have plenty in healthcare and in higher education. We don't need one more. You don't have to memorize True. these values. If, they're your, if it's your values, mm -hmm. then phrase it the way that you would phrase it. Don't worry about memorizing the way that it is, mm -hmm. but they've gotta be these core values that belong to everyone. And so, but that's the question, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it comes from two things. One, we have to capture the values of our current team. And then later we have to be able to bring new people on board that are already aligned with the values or they'll get watered down over time and it won't be sustainable. So it's actually two mm -hmm. phases, if you will. Mm -hmm. Because after we get the values, and, at, and let's say we do post them on our website, we have, and we publish them and put posters around, we have. Mm -hmm. I think everybody has a right to ask the most important question, which is, so what? What are we doing with those? Yeah. So here's how we identify them. We brought those 104 people together in one room. We put them at round tables, uh, and no one in the room knew everybody else in the room, and we deliberately put people at tables where no one would know everybody at their table. So they were from different places in the organization. They were, we were a highly siloed organization when we began, so we wanted to start breaking through the silos with that first meeting. We asked everybody on a piece of paper, and I'm, I'm sharing this because for everybody that watches this, that wants to start a values-based culture in their own organization or with their families, Good point. they can do this. Mm -hmm. Have everybody start by writing down on a piece of paper what the core values are that are deep inside them. Now, people have a, sometimes people, would ask, well, what do you mean by values? Well, okay, these are the deeply held beliefs, the principles that we live our life by. And for a lot of people, if we ask that question, it's been a long time since they've thought about it. I'll bet. So they, they go back, they get reflective. They think about their parents, grandparents, teachers, mm -hmm. coaches, mentors. If they were in the military, mm -hmm. then they probably think about the military and the values there. Mm -hmm. But they'll write them down. And they'll write down two or three or four things. What we did was we provided flip charts for each of the 15 tables that were in our room. And we had table facilitators that we trained ahead of time. And what they did was they wrote on those flip charts only those values that everyone had in common. Not, it wasn't a comprehensive list. Okay. It was just what everybody agreed on. So there were a few things on each chart. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, we had somebody that was watching the room. And they were, as they were seeing things on the flip chart, they were typing them and they put them on a big screen where uh, the whole room could see it. And wow. we saw the list of what every table had in common. 
Uh-huh. And there were actually 15 values there. Mm-hmm. We had a, an app that we used to vote. And we had people vote, and they came up with the top five. So now we had five values, 15 tables. So we brought three tables together we, into these pods. And, and then we assigned one of the values to each of the pods. Mm-hmm. And we had them work on the exact wording of that value that they could agree on and a definition. We spent the first day just working on definitions and values. And I love working on the definitions because if you don't demonstrate, if you don't know what it looks like, right? Like if I say integrity and you say integrity, we could mean different things. So that's great. What and, else? And, and actually, the one you chose is, is important for two reasons. One, it's one of the most common ones that come out of any organization. Mm-hmm. Integrity in some form is almost always there. Yes. That's one reason. The other is it's that there are two definitions of integrity. One, which is often used, has to do with honesty and trustworthiness. But the other definition of integrity, equally important, is, well, we're, you and I are sitting at a desk right now. It's solid wood. Mm-hmm. But in the other room, there's a desk at, in the entryway that has veneer on it. If we took something sharp and cut through the veneer, we'd find particle board underneath. If we pour liquid you know, on, the, on the particle board, it'd begin to fall apart. That doesn't have any integrity. Uh-huh. This solid piece of wood, if we cut through, it's the, it's the same all the way through. People and organizations are like that as well. So integrity, integrity an organization with integrity, it has consistency in it. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're perfect because the most beautiful piece of wood will have the knots and the injury to the original tree that after years – and when the trees finally cut down, the most beautiful parts of the wood have to do with the imperfections. Same with people and organizations. So integrity is, uh-huh. a, is actually one of those complex values that has deep meaning and that allows us to do it. So that's part of it. The other thing is, is that not only do we have to have a common definition, as you said, but after that, it was a two-day summit, value summit. Mm-hmm. On the second day, after we had the definitions, we actually came back to each of the the groups and ask them to give us specific behaviors that would indicate when we're living those values. So on our values flyer, it has a list of each value, it has a definition, it has a list of behaviors, and then we also had a graphic design artist, Will Watson, who uh, put visual graphics that would describe each of our values. Okay, this is uh, this is so interesting. You gave me this morning this wonderful book that is going to all of the people now I guess just now and Steve the five values just so I can read them one team and then what it looks like kind-hearted integrity visionary and beyond service now you took that that summit and those values and then tell us about the listening tour well the listening tour was uh, was really critically important for us a team of 5,000 plus 5,000 students. And by the way, we had students represented at the, at the Value Summit as well. So let's okay. say 10,000 people were talking about impacting. And it was, it was really important that we got input from more than just the 104. Exactly. So we decided to just have a road show. We called them listening tours, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. we went to every campus multiple times. 
We went to uh, 19 of the 21 prisons. We gathered people together. We presented the original draft of the values that we developed on May 3rd. So for the months of June, July, and August, we went on these listening tours, and we heard from over 2,600 people. We conducted 91 listening tours. And at the end of every month, the end of May, the end of June, the end of July, and the end of August, we published the results. On September 1st, we published the final edition after getting input from over 2,600 people. I don't know about our listeners, but I am just so uh, impressed with the amount of of thought, research, time, commitment. Steve, <clears throat> as far as you and your own commitment, where does this come from? Just, mm-hmm. just who, who is Steve? <laughs> Valerie, I've, uh, I've been blessed in my life to be surrounded by people at every step of the way that were phenomenal teachers, Mm -hmm. uh, mentors, and coaches. I probably needed therapists, but I think teachers, (laughs) mentors, and coaches are the ones that I remember. Mm -hmm. I have an incredibly loving family. I'm married to the best communicator I've ever known in my life. I'm fortunate to be the father of two daughters that learned so much from their mother about communication, and they're, they're fabulous. And a grandbaby. And a new grandson, <laughs> Milo. And um, I think that what I am is simply a, um, a muddling mm. of the people that I have met along my life's journey. And hopefully I'm continuing to evolve, which is change in a positive direction. And But who I am is someone who has a passion for sharing the lessons that I've learned, which are good and bad. What about the bad? What about the the times that the challenge was just too much? How do you handle that? How did you handle those things? Well, I love the way you asked the question. (laughs) But I don't know that I would say it was too much. At the time, I might have thought that. But it's kind of like that tree analogy. when, when you're going through the hacking, you're go, <laughs> going through the, Ooh, the, tough, uh, the tough time, it hurts. Yeah. Um, most of them, in my case, were self-inflicted. They were failures that I had along the way, mistakes that I made along the way. Um, but in retrospect, um, they were my greatest lessons. Mm-hmm. I had the same choice that most people have, and that is not whether I'm going to fail not whether I'm going to face what I would call a crucible moment. What I face and what we all face is the choice of what are we going to do with that. We go through it. Mm-hmm. How are we going to handle it? So, sure, I have had disappointments along the way. Um, I've been in five industries. Uh, and, you know, in the Army, there were things I wanted to do that I couldn't do. You were at West Point. I, I, that's where I went to school and mm-hmm. uh, started my f- formal study of leadership mm-hmm. uh, with four years at West Point. And then West Point's a leadership laboratory, if you will. And then I had the, the great fortune to be in the infantry and the Army and, and work with phenomenal soldiers and great units and, and be able to continue to learn from all of them. 
So from army to industry to healthcare to, to healthcare. Uh, higher education. Yeah. You know, each um, each guest, I ask the same question. Maybe this is a good time to ask okay. you, which is the wisdom from what you've experienced from from the army. You were overseas. You went overseas and had that stint and worked with uh, the ranger unit, right? And then came at PepsiCo and industry, healthcare, and so forth. Helped one of the hospitals get the Malcolm Baldrige Awards. Oh, okay, so there's lots of wisdom in your wood <laughs> that's been <laughs> scraped and scarred. So I always ask, what are maybe three or so teachable, teachable points of view that we can all learn from? And someday I'll take all of these wonderful wisdoms and, and do something with them because they're, they're, they're just raw and real and reflective, things that we should all, from every guest, really listen to and say, now how does that resonate with me? So share with us what you would say. Well, first, I guess I'd say this has been the favorite part of listening to the podcast that you've done. Oh, uh, is thank listening you. to others who answer this question. It's a little more difficult when I'm the one that's <laughs> supposed to answer it. So three things. Uh, the first is, and this, is ta- this took me a long time to get comfortable with. It's the realization that I'm not in control. Mm. <laughs> Albert Einstein had a saying, and most people know the first half of it. There are no coincidences. There's a second half to that. There are no coincidences. It's just God's way of remaining anonymous. <laughs> Would you say that again? That's so great. <laughs> there are no coincidences. Okay. It's just God's way of remaining anonymous. That's wonderful. So regardless of someone's religious faith or, or whether they believe in God or not, uh, it, it's just the realization we're not in control. Not in control. No. There are each of us, as hard as we try to control the things around us or the people around us, there will be some moment in time when, if we're consciously awake, we will realize, <laughs> hey, you know, you're not in control of this. And, and maybe we shouldn't be anyway. You know, I had the most incredibly uh, fascinating statement made by a man once years ago who just had to be in control and I asked his name was Steve I asked him I said Steve when you just I mean really you really feel like you can be in control he said absolutely I said well those times that you aren't what do you do he said I'll tell you exactly what I do I go to the mirror in my bathroom and I start screaming at it and telling it, Steve, you will get in control. And then I do. I didn't see him after that, but I don't think he had very many up times and a whole lot of down. Okay, what's another? Well, wait, Valerie, yeah. I've got to address that. I, okay. My, my guess is that he had a big crack in his mirror. Uh, yes, I think he did. And he cracked in the marriage and he, <laughs> lots of things fell apart. Okay, we've got time for a couple more. Tell me. Okay. Colin Powell has written two autobiographies so far. Both are fabulous, in which he mentions something that he calls the 40-70 rule, mm-hmm. and I've adopted it. 
Okay. Here's, and I'll paraphrase the way that I have interpreted it. What he says is that he learned over time to, that to make a, an effective decision, he needs to make that decision with at least or never make the decision with less than 40% of the required information. Mm. But don't wait until you have more than 70%. If we make it with less than 40%, it won't be effective. If we wait till we have more than 70%, it won't be timely. Now, there, there's no real way to quantify 40 and 70, for, at least I can't do it. Mm -hmm. But it's the idea of it, that we have to be able to get, especially in organizations where we have a diverse group of people, we've got to collaborate and we've got to get enough information and look at it different ways and get naysayers in the room that will ask the tough questions to make sure we don't get groupthink. And then... We need to go, but if we overstudy it and we keep doing it, which higher education tends to do, and that is have committees that study and study and study but never make a decision, then yeah. we'll never be timely. So mm -hmm. I've learned that. I think that control and then timely decision-making would be the second. Mm -hmm. The third for me is the importance of being a lifelong learner <laughs> and to remain curious in my life and to remember that I'm never the smartest person in the room, that there's always someone like you in the room that I can learn from. This is so timely in that last night I just finished my monthly newsletter, and guess what it's on? <laughs> exactly that, lifelong learning. There are no coincidences. There are no coincidences. <laughs> Steve, this has just been fascinating. I, I have to hold up this book again because all the work that you did, and it's just now rolling out. You're just now, you put this into this beautiful... Can you feel the heat? That just came from the publisher. <laughs> <laughs> and everything is in here that you're going to give to the um, 5,000 people. And the only... F and so it's a primer. It's, a, it's the values. It's, it's talking about crucible, crucible, easy for me to say moments it's got some quizzes resources this is like a little um i would say guidebook for my my deep development would you what what would you call this well we call it a field guide field guide if okay. you feel in feel that we yeah. we actually you can bend it uh-huh. It, it uh, holds up a coffee cup really well or a wine <laughs> okay. glass if it's later in the day. Uh-huh. Put stain we tell our people put stains on it, write in use it, it. Use it. It doesn't use go it. on a shelf. Okay. It, so it's designed to be a book of tools to use on a daily basis. And I know that you are um, incorporating coaching for these people right. as well, which course as an executive coach, I think that's pretty awesome, you know. We all need outside uh, I'm not going to say counseling because that's not what coaching is, but outside perspectives and people that can give different perspectives uh, on issues from the individual. So I think that's great. I know that there are listeners, if I were listening, I'd certainly want to know more about all of this. And so may I give the listeners your cell phone number? I know I can because you said I could. That if, you know, if any of you are in fact, thinking about changing a culture, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're uh, an intrapreneur and you want to, let's face it, you can change the culture of your team. You don't have to wait for the people at the top to change the culture all the way down. Even helpful things for the family. 
let me give this to you. You can call Steve Sausland. His phone number is 817-304-6173. I'll say it again. 817-304-6173. And Steve, I've just thoroughly enjoyed this. I'm excited for the future and what this is going to do for those healthcare professionals that are going through the uh, the university, and then for the patients that will be the uh, outcome of all of this is to have better patient relations as well. And so as I always say thank you to you, I always say thank you to you, my listeners, and uh, just know that you can continue to get these podcasts on any of the um, places where you do listen to podcasts, but you can also see the interview, I'd say discussions, we have discussions, not interviews, on YouTube. So you be sure and stay tuned for our next one. And as you know from the picture in the back, it comes from one of my books, Do It Right. I thought it was, my daughter actually said, Mom, why don't you call the show Doing It Right? And I thought, well, duh. (laughs) And you can get this book and any of my other ones on Amazon. So until next time, stay authentic. Stay authentic.